0: Amen and amen. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse number 12. One of the things that I want you to see, though, as you get into the book of, uh, of Acts is whenever you see the disciples beginning to go out and do what the commission called them to do, which was to preach the gospel and the highways and the byways. Well, Philip took that call of God on his life, and he actually went and did what God had called him to do, and he went into a place called Samaria. And this is, Samaria is a place where most of the Jews didn't want to go, and God actually told them not to go until they got endued with power from on high. And Philip, after he got endued with power from on high, he actually went to Samaria, And he went and he preached the gospel there in Samaria. And listen, here's an amazing thing, is that people began to believe the gospel. People began to believe, they got baptized, and they got filled. Now listen, I want you to notice something important, though. There was a sorcerer named Simon that was there. Okay, Simon the sorcerer was there, and Simon believed. Simon believed. He heard what Philip was saying, and he believed. Listen to what it says in verse number 12. It says, but when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, important distinction that we're going to get into right here. I want you to notice something. It says, Simon himself believed also. Now, Simon was a sorcerer. He was involved in witchcraft. In fact, the whole place of Samaria was involved in this sorcery. They thought that this guy ran the whole thing. And so whenever he got involved with God, um, he he still had a little bit of that streak in him. Now, watch. There's a couple of things I want to point out right here. It says, Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wandered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Now, there's three Bs right there I want you to look at. He was baptized... He believed he was baptized and then he was beholding or another way of saying it is he was bewildered he see he believed what Philip said he got baptized according to what Philip told him and then he beheld God doing all kinds of miraculous things you know it's an amazing thing after you've been born again you start seeing things in a different way you start seeing God working when other times you didn't it's because you first saw by the Spirit and When God opens your eyes by the Spirit, you begin to see things with the spiritual eye, not necessarily the natural eye. I always say you begin to look at things through the eternal perspective and not just the situational, circumstantial perspective that the whole world looks at everything in. Amen? It's because whenever the world sees somebody, they see them for what they see on the outside. God doesn't look on the outside. God looks at the heart of man. This is why David was anointed to be king when he was the runt. This is why his dad, Jesse, brought all his other brothers to, 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 be, you know, to be anointed by Saul, by Samuel, and, and it never worked. He said, this isn't the right one. There's got to be another one because none of them were the right character. None of them had what God was looking for, but on the outside, they had what the world was looking for. See, the world looks at things one way and God looks at them a different way, okay? So there's these three things that Simon did. Notice it says in verse 13, he believed, he was baptized, and he beheld the miracles and signs which were done. Now, continuing into verse number 14, it said, When the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now, it's an amazing thing because you almost kind of get this uh, connotation that they're like, wow, people in Samaria actually got saved because, you know, they look kind of down on them. They didn't hear what Jesus taught, you know, about being uh, going out from Jerusalem and then to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. But they ended up sending Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. So hold on to that, because there was something that was missing in their walk, and that was the ignition switch, or the empowerment that they needed. They they, they didn't have that giddy up. They didn't have that extra gear. They didn't have that Holy Spirit. Now watch this. In verse number 16, it says that for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. So the whole town believed and was baptized, and even Simon the sorcerer was beholding, but none of them yet had received the Holy Ghost. He was, he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Look at verse number 17. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So this is whenever every, how many of you all remember the times that you got baptized in the Holy Ghost? Everything changed. Everything changed. Amen. That's when the empowerment from God came into our lives. In Simon, whenever this happened, it's an amazing thing that happens in Simon's life. Uh, Simon, uh, you know, kind of perks up. He perks up. Look at verse number 18. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now, there's something important that I want you to see in this, and and that is a couple of things. Number one is that Simon immediately when he saw the power of God he sought to manipulate it to control people he wanted to be able to buy what God had and listen God's not for sale God's not for sale and he don't go into current trendy things God's the same way he's always been he never changes he's the same yesterday today and forever amen Men change, methods change, but God don't change. See, people are always, the EM balance. He said people are always looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. See, the, the, we, the church world's always looking for how they can get this and how they can, if we build a carnival, people will come to church. If we'll do this, we'll do that, and we'll do this. People are always looking for better methods. But then you have God looking, where's a good man? Where's a good man that I can use? Amen? He's looking for someone who say, God, I'm right here. I want all that you have for me, and I give you all that I am. That's the kind of person that God's looking for in the world today. Now, there's an important distinction also that I want you to notice about about Simon the sorcerer, an important distinction, is that he sought to manipulate the people of God. He sought to use this power of God to manipulate the people of God. And if there is a hallmark of any false teacher, it is manipulation. Somebody that's not right, somebody that's not right with God will seek to manipulate the sheep, will seek to manipulate the vulnerable, will seek to manipulate those and keep them in bondage. Now, that that is exactly what he desired to do, and one of the things that, you know, I've heard somebody say, oh, he was trying to buy the Holy Ghost. No, he wasn't trying to buy the Holy Ghost. He was trying to buy the ability to give the Holy Ghost. He was trying to buy the ability to give the Holy Ghost. Why would he want that? Because that way, everybody would have to come to him for what they needed from God. He wanted to become the mediator between God and men. He wanted to become the one that everybody came to. He wanted to be the one that manipulated the situation and got what he needed from folks. He was a sorcerer and he didn't leave it in his past. There, there was some of that still ingrained within him. When somebody is involved in witchcraft, and one thing about witchcraft, God says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is coming against God's authority, but all witchcraft seeks to manipulate folks. From the, from the, from the, the cleanest version of it to the most rotten version of it, it all seeks to manipulate people for their own personal preferences that's what all voodoo is that's what all witchcraft is whether it's black or white witchcraft whatever kind of witchcraft it is it all tries to manipulate somebody to do what you want them to do and simon if he could have got that power he would have held it over the head of all the people in samaria amen and, and listen and Peter it's and, and it's not no mistake that Peter's the one here on the scene. Peter's the one that got sent because I don't know if you remember over in second Peter chapter two, Peter's the one that said that false teachers will make merchandise of you. Yeah. False teachers will make merchandise of you. Because of your covetousness, false teachers will come in and they will bring damnable heresies and they will make merchandise of you. In other words, a false teacher is gonna say, buy my book, buy my CD, come to my conference and pay $99 plus shipping and handling, buy this, buy, it's buy, 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 buy. But you can't buy God. You can't buy God. You cannot buy God. There's, there's an important truth I want you to grab hold of here, and that is when somebody's not right with God, they will seek to manipulate God. They will, they will begin to barter with God and barter with people, but when God calls somebody to get saved, he calls them to fully and completely surrender who they are to who he is. God will take nothing less than a crucified life as paul said i am crucified to the world amen one of the things that you see though is this desire to manipulate people to make merchandise of people and you know if you could summarize the church world today you have pockets Amen. I mean we we're not going to believe that there's that there's no good churches out there we don't believe that at all but the thing is, is that by and large, so much of the church world is caught up in the bye, buy, 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 bye mentality. They are making merchandise of the people of God. Making merchandise of the people of God. And I wanna show you something. If you'll turn real quick to Matthew chapter 10, it, 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 it's not a mistake also that this uh, Matthew chapter 10 involves Peter as well. If you go to Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse number 7. Now, this is the initial time that the Lord Jesus takes his disciples and sends them out to preach. The first time he does it, it's an important thing that you got to learn. He anoints them. He equips them, and he sends them, and he tells them some specific direction. Notice what he says in verse number seven. As you go, preach. He didn't say collect. He said preach. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's here. God's here. God's come. Emmanuel, God is here. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen to verse eight. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. And listen to this part. He didn't say and take and buy. Sell. He didn't say barter. He didn't say none of that. Listen. Freely you have received. Freely give. Jesus did not charge the disciples a payment money monetary thing at all for the power of god to preach the gospel he did not make them pay money to get anointed he didn't make them pay money to be able to cast out devils he didn't make them go to a conference he didn't make them buy a book he didn't even make them buy a cd he said i give it to you now go and give it to them freely freely you have received freely give one of the problems that you see in the church world is it is not that way anymore it is not that way anymore if somebody can make a dollar off of you they're going to make it off of you at the church and they're going to make another one off you going out the door because they're going to sell you some coffee or an icy or something one of the problems that you see though is is that people are always trying to make merchandise of you and and like i said that is a hallmark of somebody who is caught up in manipulation for whatever reason for whatever reason and we're going to get into that now just bear with me we're going to get into that but remember those three things that that simon did simon he believed he baptized and then he beheld he beheld he was kind of bewildered he said Look at what God's doing. Amen. And you know some of some of the church world would do good. It would do them good to get their their head out of their iPhone and to look up and see what God was doing. Do you know that you know that the devil can preoccupy with the, with the things of the world and you will miss what God is doing in the world. If you get so caught up in drama with politics and drama with your family members and drama with people at this and people at that workplace, you will miss the hand of God. Do you know that you can get so caught up in drama you'll miss what God's doing in your family, in your children or your loved ones? You can get so caught up in the fact that I told them not to go there. There you You get so caught up in that kind of stuff that you'll miss seeing what God's doing. You'll miss seeing a broken heart that's broken and contrite and ready to receive. You, you'll, you'll just flat out miss it because you're not taking the time to behold the wonders of God. You see, that, that's one thing that we'll say about, about Simon is he kind of stopped and he said, man, God is doing something. I can't really put my finger on it, but God's doing something. And, you know, in Acts, everything's unfolding they didn't really he didn't really know what exactly he didn't have a systematic doctrinal theology and all that kind of stuff he just saw he he took his he took his head out of the sand and he saw what god was doing he beheld it and i want to encourage you i want to encourage you to take your eyes up and look at what god is doing you know, one of my favorite ministers is Leonard Ravenhill. I encourage you to listen and read him. But one of the things he said is that whenever, whenever a believer is not involved in the joy of the Lord, when a believer no longer has the joy of the Lord, he turns to entertainment. He said entertainment is the devil's substitute for the joy of the Lord. If you don't have it, you got to fill that with something else. You got to fill it with CNN, Fox News, or Facebook. Or some kind of game or something. Some solitaire. Why are you going to be playing solitaire when God's got a call on your life to send you out to minister to broken lives? Isn't it time to stop playing games and get involved in what God's doing? If you will, turn back with me to uh, Acts chapter number eight. got to continue in this for just a little bit. But listen, hey, 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 the, the Holy Ghost is a gift received, not a power purchased. You can't purchase the power of God. You have to receive it on God's terms. God's terms, not yours. You can't tell God how it's going to be. God don't play that game. You, you you receive what God has for you, or you don't get it. You can't purchase it. Can't purchase it. Now, one of the one of the sad realities of the uh, 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 that that I want to get into, that I want to touch on just real briefly, is this fact that that if if believers were and lived the way that we've been called to live, the mega churches would be out of business. The, 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 prof, the, the profiteers from the pulpiteers would be out of business if the church of the living God was as it should be. We wouldn't need fog machines and laser lights if we had the reality of the power of God in our lives. If, if, if God's not enough, there's a problem. If God's not enough, there's a problem. And one of the things that I want you to notice, okay, we're talking about Simon. He believed, he was baptized, he beheld, but you know what we're doing? we be sleeping. He was beholding, but we be sleeping. We're, we're too caught up in the world. We're too caught up in the world to even notice what God is doing in the world today. We're too caught up in our own lives and our drama. We're too caught up in the he said, she said, they went, I didn't get to go kind of stuff. Why didn't I get picked? Why did they overlook me? We get so caught up in all that kind of stuff. We're sleeping according to God. Sleep. We're asleep at the wheel. You see, if, if the church wasn't asleep, the, 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 the pulpit profiteers wouldn't have a job. But be, Now, one of the things I want you to, to notice, if you go over to, to uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 through 3, one of the things that you'll see is that it is through the covetous nature of some of the children of God that these deceivers are raised up. It's because some, you know, it's, it's because when some of those preachers say, hey, name it and claim it, go lay your hands on a Porsche, that some of the church says, yeah, because of our covetous nature because of our covetous nature it hasn't been driven out yet hasn't been driven out yet and with some something I want to show you um, it says in verse look at verse number 19 Simon said give isn't it amazing how he said that give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost how many of you know that it's not the apostles that were the givers? They're just the they're they're just the intermediate, right? They're, they're the conduit. God is the one that sends the Holy Ghost. God is the one that gives the Holy Ghost, right? Amen. But he wanted the power. This is actually the power of God. Anybody I lay hands on, I want. It. And he was doing it so that he could manipulate the people. He still had some of this sorcery in his system. And fully got it driven out yet. Look at verse number 20. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You see that? You can't purchase the Holy Ghost. It's not about how much money you put in an offering plate. It's not about how many DVDs you buy. It's not about what ministry you sow into. It's about the God you bow down before. You cannot purchase the Holy Spirit. And he says that the Holy Spirit here is the gift of God. This is the gift and the empowerment that God has given to the church. This is the, 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 the steam that makes the engine go. And, and one of the problems is we're trying to go without the steam. Look at verse number 21, he said, thou hast neither pot nor part nor lot in this matter for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. And, and this is, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road whenever Peter's talking to Simon because it's not, about, it's not about where you're from, it's not about the language that you speak, it's not about whether you have nice clothes or not nice clothes, it's not about the car you drive, it's not about how much money you put in an offering plate, it's about your heart. Yes. That's what's keeping you back right now. There, there, there may be a call of God on your life, Simon, but you ain't going nowhere because your heart ain't right. And one of the things that, that we know from Jeremiah 17, we know that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. You cannot trust your heart. You have to weigh your heart in light of God's word. You have to take your heart and take the word of God and see where, where there's any discrepancy. So it's an amazing thing, this rebuke that Peter gives. It's an amazing rebuke. Listen to the rebuke because most of us say, oh, you're not right with God. Get on out of here. But Peter said, you're not right with God. Nothing's going to happen in your life because your heart's not where it needs to be, which I, I implore you, go back and read John the Baptist because he told folks the same thing. Many people came, Pharisees and Sadducees, all the seas. They all came to get baptized by John the Baptist, and he turned them away. He said, "Where are the fruits of repentance?" He was not going to baptize them till they came tearfully before God. There was, there was, he was. The baptism that he was given was that baptism of repentance, amen. And they weren't repenting, so he wasn't baptizing. When was the last time you saw somebody turn somebody away from an altar? That's what John the Baptist did. That's why Jesus said he was the greatest prophet. That's why Jesus said he was the greatest prophet. He had that boldness. He said, you're not right with God. I'm not baptizing you. That's some Holy Ghost boldness on the front side of the cross, (laughs) But, but, but Peter, in that same spirit, in that same spirit, he told Simon, nothing's going to happen right now because you're not right. He's not totally disqualifying him, though, because look at the next verse, verse number 22. He said, repent, therefore, of this wickedness. Yeah. Hey, you know what? You're not right. I'm not touching you. I'm not doing nothing for you, but you need to repent. Mm-hmm. He gave him the door. You know what? God will always put the ball right back in your lap when things aren't the aren't how they should be in your life god will always give you the ball and he'll say hey you want to dribble come on god will always give you the ability to get right with him through jesus christ through what he did on the cross God will always draw his people to himself. He will always give you the chance and the ability to get right until, you, until a man or a woman draws their last breath, they have the ability to get right with God if they'll call on Jesus Christ. So don't give up on Nobody. You know what? God didn't give up on you, so you got no right giving up on somebody else. God didn't shut the door on you. God held the door open as long as He had to till you got right. So don't be shutting the door on nobody else. It's an amazing thing that Peter did. He said, You're not right. And we would have said, Woo, don't touch that one, right? Don't get around that guy. They're wicked. Their heart's not right. Don't get around them. But, but Peter, through God, his desire to, was to bring what? Reconciliation between Simon and God. His, he was moved to give Simon an opportunity to get things right. He called him to repent. He said, repent therefore of this, thy wickedness, look, notice that he doesn't lay he doesn't lay the 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 sin down at anybody else's feet he doesn't say hey it was your mama's fault he doesn't say hey it's because the way you was brought up he said repent repent of thy wickedness in case you you, you're not familiar with the King James uh, Bible "thy" with a T it means you and you alone A T is a singular word. When the the King James Bible uses a Y, it's plural. Ye, that's plural. Thy, thine is the kingdom. Thine is the glory. That's one and one alone. And so whenever Peter tells Simon, thy wickedness, he's he's telling Simon, you and you alone has got yourself messed up. And you and you alone needs to repent. He said repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray god if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee you see God was he was he said you need to pray so that God can forgive you okay for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity and we gonna we're gonna stop right there for a second but listen there was something that was keeping Simon back and it was bitterness. Bitterness had laid a hold of his heart for some reason or another. Bit, listen, I wanna tell you something. Bitterness will keep you back from God. Bitterness, bitterness is, you know, if you're not for sure what bitter, I think we all know what bitterness is, but it's when something don't taste right. This is the easy way to, to, is when something don't taste right. Well, bitterness in the heart is when something don't sit right with you and you don't give it to God. You know, when God says to bring it to him, cast your cares on him, he don't mean for you to pick them back up. So whatever comes at us and in our life, those setbacks, those hurts, those disappointments, those discouragements, depression, whatever it may be, lay it at the feet of Jesus and don't pick it up again. When something comes in your life, and whether it's somebody's hurt you, somebody's manipulated you, or things didn't go the way you thought it would go, bitterness has an opportunity to rise when your family don't turn out the way you want it to turn out, when life don't turn out the way you want it to turn out, when your health don't turn out the way you want it to turn out, when this don't turn out the way you want it to turn out, when people don't treat you right, when people don't you know, do right to you, when people overlook you, when people look down on you, whatever the case may be, bitterness has an opportunity to rise. And it's in those moments that if you want God, you've got to choose to behold God and not grow bitter. Say, show me, Brother Kenny. Show me. Let's go to Ephesians chapter number four. I'll show you. Ephesians chapter number four. God's good. Ephesians chapter number four, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. All right, look at verse number 29. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's a good check before you get on Facebook, by the way. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Everything that you say should be an opportunity to bring people out of darkness and into light. That's what grace is. Now listen to this. Verse number 30. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Listen to verse 31. Let all We don't need to get into the Greek All means all No means no Yes means yes World means world And all means all It says let all bitterness And wrath and anger And clamor and evil speaking Be put away from you With all malice Notice that the grieving of the Holy Spirit is tied to you being bitter. I believe that one of the major problems that we have in the church world is that we harbor bitterness over disappointments in our lives, not fully understanding that it is grieving the Holy Spirit of God, just like Simon the sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer, whatever the issue may be in your life, let me tell you something, it's not worth disqualifying yourself from the Spirit of God. Whatever somebody did to you, whatever somebody is doing to you, you've got to get to a point where you give it to God and walk away from it because the Spirit of God will come when the bitterness is let go. But too many of us, too many of us choose to chomp on the gum of bitterness instead of drinking from the Spirit of God. Uh Do you know that you can get bitter about how many children you have or how many children you don't have? You can get bitter about how much money you have or how you didn't get the promotion. You can get bitter about, you know, maybe you cooked for your spouse and they didn't even care about it. You can get bitter about all kinds of stuff. You can get bitter about pastor not shaking your hand. Or you can get bitter about somebody parking in your spot, sitting on your pew. You can get bitter about all kinds of stuff. But you've got to make a decision and a determination within yourself to choose God over bitterness. God is not going to inhabit a house of bitterness. That was one of the major problems that Simon the sorcerer realized when when Peter called him to repent. He said, look, you're in the gall of bitterness. And there's another B, the bond of iniquity. We'll get there later. But but notice first, the gall of bitterness, that's where you're harboring something. You know what it was he was harboring? We can just, I mean, we don't know for sure, but we can kind of guess by the Spirit. Listen, he was the sorcerer, and if you'll, if you'll go back up in the, uh, in the previous verses, it said that the whole town was in awe of this man. In other words, he ran the town. Everybody came to Simon the sorcerer for their spiritual need. Then the men of God showed up and preached the gospel, and people got set free. And when that happened, he began on the inside saying, how am I going to make any money now? Nobody's going to care about me now. No, no, you know, when, when sometimes God will call you out of a certain situation. You know, sometimes God will call you out. Listen, God was giving Simon the sorcerer an opportunity to leave his old past behind and to come into a new future. Amen. And when he started to go, he thought, yeah, but back there, everybody looked up to me. And sometimes God will call you out of a situation. He will ask you to walk by faith. Don't look back. Don't be like Lot's wife, amen. When God calls you out, take that step of faith. But he, he thought in himself, you know what? Everybody looked up to me back there. Everybody looked up to me back there. And, and you know what? Maybe, maybe, and then he saw his opportunity. Hey, if I'm like that, Whoever I lay hands on gets the Holy Ghost, then they'll all come back to me. You see, his desire to to lay hands on people and give them the Holy Ghost was not a godly desire. He desired a godly thing for an ungodly reason. It was bitterness driving him, not a desire to see God's children filled with his spirit. And do you know... That today, people even desire, some, even preachers desire the same thing for ungodly reasons as well? Yeah. For the almighty dollar. Sometimes we need to check our motives. And Simon's motives were wrong. And Peter had, Peter had the audacity, the, the holy audacity to call him out on it. And so bitterness will disqualify you. Bitterness will put you in a place where you will grieve the Holy Ghost, where you'll grieve God. Listen, it doesn't matter what it is. It's not worth grieving God. You know what grieves God is when you don't come to him. It's when you don't allow him to work in your life. It's when you harbor resentment, when you harbor hurt, when you harbor setback and disappointment, bitterness will grow if you don't give it to God. Listen, listen. Those issues you can't handle. Don't, Don't look at it lightly. Whatever happened to you when you was a child, whatever happened to you last year, whatever you're going through right now, listen, don't try to defeat it on your own. You can't figure it out, and you can't work it out. But I know a God who can. God is still in the delivering business. God is still in the saving business. God is still in the healing business. God is still in the filling business. (laughs) But if you want to choose to be bitter you're going to end up grieving God and missing out on the gift that he has for you, the Holy Spirit. Let me take you over to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. We'll get one more witness on this. By the way, Hebrews chapter 12 is one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible. We're going to pick it up in verse... um, Let's start with verse number 12. It's it's a good verse. Uh, Hebrews 12, beginning in verse number 12. And and what you want to do is you want to just say, God, is there some bitterness in me? You know, because things don't go the way I want them to go sometimes. I don't know about you. I've got to check my own heart on this. We're going to say, God, you know, sometimes things don't go the way I want them to go. Uh, You know, how many of you have been through those situations where you say, God, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do? When are you going to do what you're supposed to do? Maybe you won't verbalize it like that, but how many of you have been in that kind of situation, right? God, I'm doing this. I'm believing that. Now, where's this? See, this is an opportunity for bitterness to rise. You've got to let it go. God handles the results. Your job is to trust and believe. God is the one who brings the results your responsibility is to bring the trust. See God, God's timing is way different than yours. You look at a clock and you say, "But if you don't come now, when are you going to come?" You look at a calendar and you look at a clock, but God don't look at it like that. God looks at hearts. God said, "You're not ready." God said, "They're not ready." God said, "The the nation ain't ready." But when the time's right, God will show up. God will show up and God will show out. You see, there's, whenever, God, whenever you look at time, there's two different ways to look at it. You can look at it through a timeline and you can look at it through God's time. See, how many of you ever heard this phrase called a God moment? A God moment. When God broke through. When God broke through. See, that's way different than time. Time. That's way different than than a calendar or a cyclical time. That and there's there's a Greek word for that. It's the Kairos time of God. This is a an appointed time when God's gonna move no matter what. It's like when when everything just gets shoved to the side, time stops. It's a God moment. Amen. Well, I don't know why I began to talk about that. Oh, because of bitterness. Because when when things aren't going when things aren't going the way you want them to go, listen, God's not done. You're gonna quit before God. God will wait you out sometimes when your heart's not right. God will wait you out if your heart's not right, and listen, you've got to guard against bitterness. Keep yourself at the altar. Amen. I don't care if you, you've got to build an altar at your house. If you don't have an altar at your house, you're not doing it right. If your car's not an altar, you're not doing it right. If you don't have an altar at work, you're not doing it right. Everywhere a child of God goes, there should be an altar to God. Everywhere your feet tread. If you want God to give it to you, make an altar. God, this is where we're going to meet. This is where I'm going to fall on my face and meet with you. This is where I'm going to call on you, God, to move in my life or in my family. This is where I'm going to call on your name, Lord. Make an altar to God. Say, God, this is where we're going to do business. You know what? If you never do that, you never will. Nobody's going to twist your arm and make you pray. Nobody's going to twist your arm and make you get set apart and sanctified for God. Nobody's going to twist your arm and make you make an altar at home. It's got to be something on the inside that craves God. It's got to be the Spirit of God crying out to you and you responding and acting accordingly. Verse number 12, Hebrews 12, verse number 12, it says, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way but let it rather be healed. These two verses constitute repentance. In order for you to repent, you've got to know that you're not right. And one of the problems in Pulpits today is people don't preach sin anymore so people don't know they need to repent anymore. If sin is not preached, people don't repent. Why would you need to repent when life is hunky-dory? And so these two verses are about actually monitoring how you are with you and God. When your hands begin to droop, when you begin to get weak need serving God. When you begin to get turned out of the way, turn back to God. Turn back to God. It says rather let it be healed and there's only one way for that to happen, it's when you come to God and you get down on your knees, or you get on your face, or you lay prostrate before the Lord, whatever it is, but you've got to take that time to, to leave it at the altar. Remember that old song, burdens are lifted at Calvary? Some of the churches forgot that. That's the only place burdens are lifted. You see, burdens never leave through drinking it away. They don't leave. You know what? You can take every plate out of your cabinet and slam it against the wall and it will never lift one burden, one iota. You can take every bowl, every coffee cup, and you can throw them all the way across your house. You can kick the dog. You can do whatever you gotta do, but not one burden gets lifted that away. It's only when God's people come to him at Calvary that burdens get lifted. When something's not right in your life, don't try to work it out on your own. I heard somebody say that about the church. They said, I'm not going to church because it's full of hypocrites. And just so you know, they weren't talking about us necessarily. So don't get all mad. But, but I, I heard somebody say, I'm not going to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, where else are hypocrites supposed to go? Amen. If, if you truly think they're a hypocrite, you better drag them to church. Now you being hypocritical. Because if you think they're not right with God, that's exactly where they need to be so they can get right with God. And that's what this verse is saying. It's saying when you notice that things aren't right, Let it be turned back into the way. Let it be healed. Now we're going to read verse 14 and 15 and, and, and dig down in this for just a second. Verse number 14, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness. Hold up. Following peace with all men. Do you know that you can't follow peace with men unless you first have peace with God? We're not talking about no, no peace of the world, that, that, that you know one world peace, that's not gonna happen. That's a lie from the Antichrist. That's a lie of the spirit of the Antichrist. It's what he uses to rise and gain power. It's a lie. Peace only comes from God and God alone, and you can't, you cannot become. We're going to read this in the Beatitudes uh, in an upcoming week, but you're not going to be a peacemaker with men until you've made peace between you and God. And one of the one of the one of the ways that we find healing is extending peace with people that have done us wrong. It didn't say follow peace with the good people. There went that church mouse. It didn't say make peace with nice folks. Did it? My version of the Bible, I think, is it says all men follow peace with all men. Do you know that you don't have to agree with folks? but you can still be peaceable. You don't have to lose the anointing of God on your life when you're around some, some folks. You, you, that's when the anointing should show forth. That's when you should have peace. What about Daniel? What about Daniel? What about, do you think whenever he got the command that he was told you can't pray to your God, do you think his knees started knocking? He had holy peace. He had a defiant walk with God. He chose to go up to his room and he opened up the doors so that all the kingdom of Babylon could see him pray to his God. His knees weren't knocking. His peace was talking. He was not in fear of what they could do. Listen, he was not in fear of what the world could do. He had peace with God. His knees weren't knocking. And whenever you are around other folks, look, God's on your side if you are a child of God. He said, in this life, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What? I have overcome the world. You've got a God that's conquered the world. Why are you going to be scared of men? Don't follow peace with just nice folks. Let the light of God shine to all men. You know, it's 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 the people that don't treat you right that need God the most. Hello? It's the people that disparage you. It's the people that do you wrong that need to see God in you the most. And yet the church world just wants to have peace in itself. You see, that, that's one of the sad realities about the church world is we live in a bubble when God's called us to go out into the highways and the byways, compelling the lost. Okay, follow peace with all men. listen to this, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot walk in unholiness and expect to see God. God will not bless what his word says he hates. God will not honor something that dishonors him. God, you, you want to live an ungodly life? Don't ask God to bless it. He says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No man shall see the Lord. You see, whenever God does a work in people's lives, he he calls them to a holy life, set apart. Look, you don't have to walk around with your nose in the air, but you do have to walk around set apart from the world. It it doesn't mean that you never go out into the world. You are called to go out in the world, but you're called to live a crucified life unto it where it has no hold on you, where it has no power over you. Until you get to a place where your life is crucified with Christ, the world will always have power over you. It is at the crucified life where the power of God will come on a man power of God will not come on a person who does not live a crucified life and this holiness that God calls us into is where you come out from you, you come out from the way you was brought up, you come out from the world and you come to God and you say God here I am I will live and do according to your spirit according to the word of God holiness is not An option for the church of the living God. Well, I don't like that holiness part. I'm going to tune it out. You can't tune out God. This verse doesn't say, without holiness, some people will not see God. It says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So it's not optional. Holiness is, is a calling for every believer, not just preachers, not just evangelists, not just fivefold ministers, not just deacons, not just elders. Holiness is a call on every child of God. Why? Because God's holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy, is what God said. Don't ever forget, what indwells you it's not a spirit it's the holy spirit if it's the holy spirit it's going to lead you into holiness but watch this look at what is attached to this powerful verse look what's attached to it verse number 15 you notice that it's, you know, most of the time when you preach on holiness and you go to this verse, everybody makes a period. Everybody stops. Without holiness, which, without which no man shall see the Lord, but there's not a period. The verse keeps going. And it says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And we're going to stop right there for a second. But notice this. It is bitterness rising up in you. It is bitterness rising up in the people of God that will, that will circumvent the power of God in their lives. A, a, a root of bitterness springing up is when you hold on to something and not someone. Yeah, but they shouldn't have done this and they shouldn't have done that and I didn't deserve this. When you hold on to something and not someone named Jesus, bitterness will rise and it will defeat you. Until you let it go, and, and be like that woman with the issue of blood, get, push everybody out of the way when they're talking, when they're laughing, when they're singing, hey, I just got to get to him. I got to get to Jesus. That's the only way I can get healed. Yeah. Notice what it said in that previous verse. When you notice that your knees are weak and your hands are drooping and, and you're getting turned out of the way, turn to God and get healed. The only way the root of bitterness can get taken out of your life is when you grab hold of Jesus. You've got to let it go, whatever it is, and hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you do that, bitterness will leave, and the Spirit of God will come. But the Spirit of God will be grieved so long as you would rather hold on to your root of bitterness than on to Jesus. We've got to make the choice whether we would rather have God move in our life or be bitter. So you can believe, you can get baptized, and you can behold or be sleeping or you can be bitter. And the amazing thing is, is God gives us the opportunity. God gives us the opportunity to come to him. God gives us the opportunity. Look, God has not passed you by. God is still in the healing business. He's still in the delivering business. He's still in the burden lifting business. He's still in the filling business. God hadn't grown weary. Look. God's not taking a nap. God's not in the recliner snoozing. God, if he's ever been powerful, he's still powerful today. If he's ever filled someone with the Holy Spirit, he'll fill them today. If he's ever healed somebody, he'll heal them today. If he's ever brought revival to the church world, he'll bring revival today. If, he, if he's ever brought somebody out of, and delivered them out of bondage, he'll do it today because God doesn't change. People change. We change, but God don't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. From eternity past to eternity future, God has always been God, will always be God, and he will never change. So if he has ever done anything for anybody, I want you to know by the spirit of God, he will do it for you. If he has ever done anything, Anything for anyone, he'll do it for you. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. Get your heart right with God and God will move in your life. Choose to behold God, don't choose to be bitter. Choose to awaken to God's hand, don't be sleeping. Father, we thank you tonight, God, for your word and your spirit, God. We thank you for ministering to us in our broken places, and Lord, even in those places that we don't want anyone to see and we don't want anyone to to be let in, God, we see your word, Lord, that we cannot be bitter and also behold your glory, God.